When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, rugby fans, to another great episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show with your team. Here I am, Ty Braga, your host, and joining me, we got Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt, Scott the Big Guy Ferrari, and for the first time to battle these boys in this rugby debate show, we got Josh Macy, the Lindenwood head coach. Josh, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I didn't get the memo on the matching shirts, so I just oh. went <laughs> Yeah, listen, so this, you know, this is not coordinated often, but uh, yeah, we're proud we of good. Boys. Yeah, we look good, and you know, we as, as everybody knows, we get all of our stuff from the RugbyShop.com, especially our new murdered outline of Rugby Rant swag, which includes hats, includes t-shirts, it includes hoodies, and the exclusive new Hammer tee. The Hammer actually has his own exclusive shirt with happiness. It's a good ruck on the front. He can he can show you that one, and old school rake marks on the back. You know. Besides Rugby Rant merch, they have any type of MLR merch you could want. Go to the RugbyShop.com and find the Rugby Rant gear under the club section and use the code RugbyRant20 to get 20% off all Rugby Rant merch through January. Again, go to the RugbyShop.com, use the code RugbyRant20 to get 20% off all Rugby Rant merch through January. And I think Linden would get some of their merch from, from the Rugby Shop, if I'm not mistaken. No, we, we're working with them now for our uh, men's and women's teams. Uh, and the service has been awesome. Lots of good communication, even uh, like pictures of the threads on the embroidery machine, trying to get that like Lindenwood logo matched as, as best as possible. So I've been really happy with it so far. Nice. Yeah. It makes a difference, right? I mean, when you got good swag and you walk out there on the field, you feel like a million bucks, you play like a million bucks. So yeah, It's a cliche, man, but they, uh, they came about for a reason. Right. Uh, well, let's uh, let's turn our attention to uh, rugby here in general. And uh, we had the opportunity to be able to put, as per usual, the poll up on the MLR Fan Zone, where you, as the fan, decided what we'll be talking about in episode 34 of the Rugby Rant. And much to our surprise, we were talking about this off screen just before what came out tops, talking about how the MLR can help amateur rugby within North America. This has been an interesting debate. I think we've covered this in a couple of different versions, but it, of course, happens to be on the minds of rugby fans out there. So we're going to take the opportunity to be able to hand it over to these boys, starting with Josh, who will be opening this rant with his two minutes. And as you know, should he go over them, he will receive what we like to call... The cheese. the cheese. And if so, he will get his first warning and doing so more than once may very well end him up getting a red and out for the next rent. Likewise for Scott and Rob, who know the rules but ignore them every time. So let's go ahead, gentlemen, and hand the floor to Josh. Tell us what you think about MLR and how they can assist amateur rugby. So I think the most important thing to say about the MLR is that they are their greatest obligation to the amateur game is solvency. Like they, they just have to exist. They have to continue to exist. That it's a business. That is their first priority. That is more important than youth, than community outreach, than anything. It's butts and seats and just continuing to exist and be a, uh, you know, an avenue through which people can be gainfully employed in rugby. Right. And, and uh, I think, that is their pro- that should be their first and only priority. Um, I would say though, and I would warn people who what what I'm hearing now, you know, just as a rugby person, I hear the same kind of uh, like empty complaints 
uh, about the MLR now that I always heard about USA Rugby. It's like, well, how is USA Rugby doing this for the high school game or for the youth game or whatever? And now people are laying that that sort of like blame or those failings on MLR, essentially a private entity, right? A collection of small businesses, right? Um, and I, I would just like to encourage people, like, stop asking that question. Like, do a good job at whatever part of the game you want to do. Like, it's my job to do a good job in college, and we work really hard to do that. And if you run a youth club, like, make it make it financially solvent for yourself. Like, sports is a nine gajillion dollar a year business in America. Like, you can't get a piece of that, like, doing youth or middle school or high school rugby. And uh, I would say it's not their job. It's actually your job as an individual to, like, create – a good solid program like within your own footprint. Right. I love that. You know, let's establish, first of all, for you, I mean, you're a part of the makeup and the fabric of rugby within the US, obviously being connected to Lindenwood. uh, It's not your first outing in rugby. You know, there's a long road to get to where you are. And many of these steps you're talking about, you probably had to journey through yourself, right? So it comes from a place of understanding, not a place of criticism, right? I would imagine. So, but yet that criticism is so easily cast towards the direction of the MLR uh, without understanding, okay, yes, these guys have now become perceived as the ambassador of the sport for the US and they have done a phenomenal job. But let's put it in context, guys. What they have achieved going into season four with all of the challenges, even beyond the COVID challenges, is amazing. But they can't do it all, right? So to be able to burden them with every single problem that you think rugby has in the U.S. is not necessarily fair, especially for an organization so young. Would that be a fair assessment there, Josh? Absolutely. And and think about it. Do the Chicago Bears really give a flip about high school football in Chicago? No. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not like it's their job to equip and train coaches and things like that. It's that – it's that we have, we have created these self-sustaining programs at every level in the game. And, uh, you know, and, and people talk about pathways and they think about that. But what, what good is a pathway if it doesn't lead anywhere? Right. And so point. It's, and I like your opening statement. Most of all, be solvent, be successful. You know, without them being there, none of these conversations would even be considered because they aren't there to be driving it or at least uh, not driving it, but there to be a part of that conversation. So number one you're saying is be successful as the organization you are and things will follow. Is that right? Yes. And and then I would backtrack and say that like you, it's stop asking USA rugby for stuff too. I mean, that <laughs> what have I, you know, in my coaching career, I've gone to a couple USA uh, coaching courses and uh, paid God knows how much in sit fees for my players and my teams. And what, what do they fly somebody to, to, you know, tell me how to run my program or tell my university how to manage my program? No, we figure that stuff out. Right. And uh, the, the more we can do without feeling like we need a larger body or something to accomplish it, the better off every individual program in America will be. Right. What I'm hearing you say is take ownership with, with what is within your control. 100%. Excellent. Great point. So I love that opening rat. Let's hand it over to Scott, the big guy, Ferrara. What do you have? All right, let's get hot, guys. So obviously, I think Josh had a great point about solvency because, again, without the MLR, none of, nothing's going to happen professionally in the United States without that professional organization. Um, I could talk about pathways and the developmental teams that MLR um, has told the teams they need to start pushing out to get those financial incentives. But I think the MLR has to take – an approach almost like the NFL does. And again, it might not be now um, being this national um, movement, but you see the NFL has the NFL play 60 initiative where it's telling kids not even go play football, just go play outside for 60 minutes, you know, uh, uh, at lunch or at recess or after school. And I think the MLR needs to take a hold of that versus the individual teams. Um, Quite like how I say the MLR needs to take a hold of, educating new fans about rugby and not putting that on the individual teams. The individual teams should play to their fan base and obviously play their locality. But I think nationally, the MLR as the organization should say nationally, we have this strategy to, you know, teach new, new, new uh, fans about rugby. And then they should have a national strategy about how to implement some type of system for, you know, kids to play just in the park, just to play touch in the park, you know, maybe, you know, have a, a stipend for, for, um, a, a person who wants to start a youth organization to just play, you know, 
four side touch rugby and have a little, a little tournament every weekend, you know, things like that to say, we'll give you, you know, three balls, we'll give you some penny jerseys and some cones. And, you know, you could say you're an MLR affiliated youth program. And, you know, it's, it's something as simple as that. Now, I don't know if they have the infrastructure to do that. I don't know if they have the, the, the assets on hand to do that, but I think as MLR continues to grow, it's something that they should move into as far as what their actual strategy should be. And again, I don't think it should be on the individual teams. I think it should be a national strategy pushed by the MLR as the central office. Right. So national programs like that have existed in a multitude of different versions by way of USA Rugby, Rookie Rugby, uh, you know, a variety of different programs. So what would you say to somebody who's saying, well, Rob, I'm sorry, Scott, that's been done. That's been tried and tested. What will the MLR do different that hasn't already been done? Well, now you can, you know, it should be a a national initiative, but obviously there's some team involvement and you can have a player, you know, a professional player from Rooney go to the local guy that that became affiliated to this MLR program and show the kids, you know, hey, you know, be the referee for, for one of these touch tournaments on a Saturday. And it doesn't have to be a big game name guy. I mean, take the butcher, for example, he has, you know, his regular job, he plays for Rooney and he plays for you know, team USA, you know, you can get one of these per diem guys that might doesn't have the same, you know, responsibilities within USA rugby and, and MLR and, and, you know, whatever they, they do off that, you know, you can get one of those guys to, to do that and lead that and say, Hey, you know, we see you on ESPN plus when you get in the game and, and play your minutes. Now you're coming and just refereeing, you know, six and seven year olds. Yeah. You know? well, I love about that. Uh, so Scott, let me rewind. So two things that I took away from that. And I enjoyed both of them, right? So one, it seems like you're talking about just access, access to equipment, access to players, access to a field, ex- you know, access, right? To make it accessible is what I'm saying, right? Um, absolutely crucial because the more people you have participating, the more create fans you create, the more fans you create, the more players will come from that. So yes, there's a great positive spinoff. The second thing that I got from that is when you mentioned, hey, you're going to have players who are competing at a professional level in their game, but have to go to their day job to be able to to pursue that dream, right? So what I took out of that is that the resources aren't abundant. They are stretched pretty thin in many cases. And I think that also also people have to recognize, and it kind of circles back around to what Josh was saying, is that there is an abundance of resources. You have to be realistic. You have to be able to understand you got to work within your circle of influence and what's possible and what's not. So, you know, to, to be able to give one organization the responsibility of saying, well, if USA Rugby can't do it, you should do it now. It's not necessarily fair. No, and I think having the academy program set up, you can also get the academy kids into it. And some of those academy kids will be playing simultaneously at colleges. So you can involve your your local college population into getting involved on a weekend when they don't have rugby or it's not rugby season or whatever they're doing to get involved too. So I think you can kind of use all of those resources to, to show kids Oh, you can go to college and play this sport. You can be a professional and play this sport in the United States. And again, right. the resource, the actual financial resources might be there, not be there to make this huge program. But in, in Carmel, New York, where I'm from, we had um, Joe Venables, his wife started a rugby club at the local middle school. And it's just, they watch a little bit of rugby on YouTube. They go out and they pass the ball a little bit. And then they, she says, Hey, you know, there's rugby on the weekend. Watch it with your, your mother or father, you know, and that little bit, gets them thinking about it and they become a lifelong fan after that. Fantastic. I love it. So let's move on to the, to the, the next uh, competitor here in the debate. Uh, he's been patiently waiting on the bench. He's now called up. Let's go ahead and hand it over Rob. I'm coming in the last two minutes here. Um, so first of all, here, and I took a lot away, uh, a lot away from both big guy and, and coach Macy, but you know, think about this gives you a little bit of perspective. The NFL has been around, um, well, officially with Super Bowl since you know, 1965 or something of that nature, and even existed, in, you know, prior to that. Um, and it is a $60 billion a year entity. Yet think about how little they do to invest in youth football programs around the United States. Scott mentioned um, recently, you know, Play 60 is this big program, but it's not really a, you know, a, a pure football program. Granted, the infrastructure is there, but it's been built over years. And the reason why I bring that up is because for me, when I think about this topic, what more do we want from this fledgling league? I mean, as Josh said, 
uh, we just want them to be solvent. They've got a business entity that they're worried about meeting the demands of through this COVID situation. They just want to get a damn season going. They want to be able to put fans in the seats. That's what they're looking forward to doing. And we're putting all this other responsibility on them. I think those expectations are too high. Now, that being said, we have to realize and understand that the, they're doing their part. They're trying to encourage that local development um, you know, in a variety of ways through both uh, the incentives, uh, incentives for youth rugby, high school rugby, and academy rugby. Those are certainly helpful. But I, I don't know if the common MLR fan really understands the level to which teams have already invested in that in one way or another. And, and Coach Macy, you're familiar with this. Nick Feeks, he's the Louisiana Youth Development Director. I mean, he's giving back. Nola, it, you got to think Nola was involved in that. Nate Osborne, their coach, he coached the men's club, the the you know the Nola men's club. Um, Tim Maupin is the head coach, college coach at at Tulane. Michael Baska, who came from LU, uh, he's has heavily invested in youth rugby in Nola and now in Utah. Um, so this is happening, right? Um, but they've got to let it grow organically. They can't put all this responsibility on the league. Right. So let's let's uh, rewind again a little bit because I think it's a super important point. And now we may be having these conversations very often, so we might overlook the fan that is actually tuning in perhaps for the first time here on the Rugby Rant, might not know exactly what you're talking about when you say that the league is already supporting rugby at an amateur level with those camps, with those incentive programs. So to give it a little bit of context, one great example of that is where the league has set out a plan that how teams, franchises, can earn incentives that eventually could mean they get an additional uh, budget added to their and salary. Ty, and Ty, yeah. interesting, interesting point. I, I got a, uh, I was had a conversation with somebody, um, we'll call him an MLR insider, who said that every team except for one met the incentivization guidelines in 2020 for 2020 going into 2021. And again, I think that's amazing to yeah. do that in a COVID period that at 12 out of 13 teams got to meet that when a lot of the states aren't open. It's fantastic. And those incentives, one small part of it, but a great illustration of its impact is how they are encouraged to be able to nurture players from the amateur game to eventually graduate them to becoming professional players in major league franchises. And when they do so, uh, they get credited for that by getting an additional amount added to their uh, to the salary cap. So there is a structure in place. It just needs time to be able to grow. It needs time to be nurtured, right? And these are, are, are fundamentals that are now being put in place that I believe will blossom, not 2021, maybe not even three years or four years from now, but it will come. But circling back around to the original point that Josh made, only if the MLR itself is successful to continue feeding it. So it's an interesting uh, point. I'm going to go around the table before we close out this round. And I did a little bit of research that were some of the key obstacles standing in the way for amateur rugby that MLR could possibly assist in some areas. So I'm going to give you each a topic and you can give me one point that you think could be a resolution, could be a way that the MLR could help in that area. So we'll start where we started this round with Josh. Uh, Lindenwood coach, of course, great experience. You've probably been through some of those pain points yourself. So when we talk about suitable facilities for amateur rugby, how is one way that the MLR can assist? Well, a lot of MLR teams don't even have great training facilities. But, you know, I think I think what you see, for instance, with clubs in Europe, you know, switching to – uh, artificial turf, right? There's a reason they're doing that. And it's so they can open up hours in the day. They can use their facility for community rugby, right? So right. Harrison's understand that if we have an artificial turf, we can have youth rugby from 8 a.m. to 11, you know, right. every Saturday. You're tearing up the natural grass, you know? And they, and they do that with Mill Hill Rugby Club. That's who they partner with. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, basically, artificial definitely is low maintenance, so you can have game after game after game, as long as it's not Sam Boyd Stadium, right? Um, <laughs> but that's a whole other story. Josh, that was a great point. I'm going to hand that to you. Scott, I'm going to throw one at you with fundraising. How can the MLR assist amateur rugby in that regard? Um, again, I think it's it's a little, you know, 
not to say they, they have to throw money at the situation, but I think, again, if, if back to my point, if they can just give a ball and, you know, 10 pennies to a person who wants to set this up. And to be honest, it has to be, it might have to be, it, it might not have to come through the MLR. It might just have to be a call to action from the MLR to say, if you are in the community and you want to support local rugby and you want, and you're, you're the one talking about banging the drum to get the, a youth program set up, go and do it. You know, maybe it's just have guidelines, you know, and, and, and say, right. this is how we, we're looking to set up, you know, a youth rugby touch program. You know, maybe, maybe it's just a free database to help somebody get, right. get that done in their state, you know? So, so you're not putting the, a ton of, of, of assets into the program, but you're just helping out and, and helping somebody figure out how well, to that's do great it. value though, because, you know, there's two sides to the coin. Sometimes you might actually have enough time and enough people to assist you, but not enough of the skills to do the job uh, mm-hmm. and then vice versa. Right. So yes, that is a great contribution. If they can give them resources to learn how to be able to run clinics, to be able to host proper fundraising events where they can actually drive some donations for their clubs. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned before, they can have access to the players. The players could be a part of those fundraising events. It doesn't cost them anything except a little bit of time. But how cool would it be to be able to have your Rooney star player come to your local club and have the kids interact with them and have the parents interact with them and feed that culture, right? And, and what people have to realize in youth sports in America, you know, like using football as an example, there's like five different national organizations that do this as, as a business, you know, right. for youth football. And it depends on which organization your team is, is, is affiliated with. We don't have that for rugby. We just have USAR. And again, like going back to Josh's first point, how much more pressure are we going to put on USAR and then throw it on the MLR when people right. in football and baseball already have, not only do they have organizations that are successful they're competing for kids so how how do we get that fair points i like it thank you very much scott rob i'm going to throw another one your way here you look ready and in weight ready to pounce i'm going to make yours coaching and refs i'm sorry scott was trying to take some of my time could you repeat that please (laughs) oh that's so unlike scott (laughs) so coaches as uh, referees staff you know, those type of resources, how can the MLR assist there? Well, I, I think Scott hit upon part of that, um, and that is set up, setting up clinics. It can be, you know, a hub for clinics. Um, you know, they can organize, like in New England, for example, they have those 12 smaller organizations, right? Um, you you basically, you could bring in USAR, organize that, um, you know, organize the uh, getting individuals who want to be, you know, level one, level two, level three coaches, once you get those individuals kind of organized, um, you know, once you get 12 people, you ask USAR to come over and send somebody into your, you know, assuming COVID opens up, uh, send them over there. And now you've got a situation where they can at least USAR can kind of develop their methodologies and help right. coaches understand the structures. Same with officiating. I think just assist and be somebody that's going to be a guide to help those along. I want to go back to the fundraising point. I mean, a lot of these, if not most MLR teams have a, a USA national team player on it. Or mm-hmm. several, why not partner with those guys and go? Hey, uh, buy a couple of uh, jerseys, USA uh, jerseys. Have those right. guys sign them. Um, you know, get you know frames from Hobby Lobby, pin them up nice, and uh, use them to help those teams auction them off to raise funds, either right. a national yeah. national yeah. auction, yeah. you know, yeah. on eBay or whatever have you. Yeah. You know, it's I mean, you, know, you know how many times I'm, I'm at I'm at the social afterwards at a Rooney match and somebody's like, hey, can you introduce me to the butcher? Because I want an autograph. And I mean, it happens like constantly. Yeah, like, yeah, sure, for the next beer. Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, if you show up with a beer, he'll, you know, sign whatever you want. I mean, it's that simple. But I think I think Rob is right. I think they haven't taken the fame of some of these players and some of the right. interest that a lot of fans have and translated it into what could be. I, I, I will agree, you know, while we shouldn't put all of the responsibility on the shoulders of the organization, there are elements inside it that are cost-free, very low maintenance, very low labor that can make an impact in your local community rugby. Um, great example is access to the players. And as you said, fundraising that can be a spinoff from there, dinner events, banquets that have these players be hosting them charity auctions where you can auction off these items. There are many small things you can do that will go a long way to building relationships with your community rugby partners. Coach Macy is very familiar with Chance Wagalewski, a national team player, like played at LU, plays at 
at ATL. He sent us a jersey. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. He even we didn't pay for it. Right. Yeah. But he signed it out of the goodness of his heart because he's a great friend. Happy to do and it. Happy to do happy it. To do it. He did the same for the Tulsa Chamber of Commerce, and they did an online auction for them. That's the kind of thing I think they can pick up on to help, you know, these youth programs maybe grow their grow yeah. their sport a little bit and get you a little bit. If, if we have learned anything in the time that we have been doing the show, is that there are lots of people who like what we do. Um, and hopefully one of them will be able to pick up the ball and run with some of these ideas. And uh, if that's the case, that just one will be out there to do it, I'm sure many will follow. And uh, I think we've taken the time that we need to be able to debate this point. It might not necessarily have been what you thought this topic might have looked like when you were on the MLR fan zone voting for it. Nevertheless, it still stands as the truth that we know, and we thank you for watching this segment. Stick around as we'll be back in a few short moments after a few words from our sponsors. Welcome back, Rugby Rant fans. Here we are on that. <laughs> hold on a second. Hold on a second. Somebody's breaking the rule. Yellow card. Ah, <laughs> All right. Just lay down the law here. All right, gentlemen, this is a new segment we're going to have fun with. The boys were practicing in case you just tuned in. Uh, this is something new. It's unusual to our new normal format. We're going to be doing a trivia. So this might very well separate who wins this round in the rugby debate show, but we're going to throw it out to these guys to test their knowledge and see how good they are with their knowledge in general when it comes to rugby. We're not going to make it too difficult because Scott's already sweating. Uh, so <laughs> let's go ahead and, uh, and, and, and remind you how this works. So the first thing that to note, to be able to answer or ha- be the first person to answer, you need to raise your hand to the camera as quickly as you can when I have completed the question, right? Not before, gentlemen. So once again, the first person to raise their hand to the camera. Where's my camera? There it is. <laughs> so second uh, doesn't mean anything. The first person to do so will answer the question. At the end of this round, we will have a winner. Every correct answer is one point. So, gentlemen, are we ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Wait until it is done. First question up. What year was the MLR founded? Rob Hammerschmidt. Uh, 2018. I will hand it to Scott. 2017. 2017 is correct. First yeah. time played was in 2018. I thought that's what you meant. Well, you thought wrong. Oh, friggin' who? <laughs> <laughs> so, first points on the board ever goes to Scott Ferrara. And he's so pleased because he stole it from Rob. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, let's move on to the next one, gentlemen. Number two. How many teams participated in the first season of oh. MLR? Rob Hammerschmidt. Seven. Seven is the correct answer, and he's back on the board. He was there. Like he's like, oh crap, no, yes, no, yes, I do know the board. Get hot. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So it's one one at the top of the screen. Josh, hopefully you're in on the next. So here we go, gentlemen. Number three. Who was the 2019 player of the year? Multiple choice. Multiple choice. All right. Is it A, JP Duplessis? B, Brad Tucker? C, Cam Dolan? Or D, Patty Ryan? Rob Hammerschmidt? Brad Tucker. That is correct. <laughs> and I think I have no C was back of the year, so I should get a bonus point and extra credit. Well, it's interesting <laughs> because all of them were winners. Yeah. But only one same. was, of course, the player of the year. And you guessed correctly, Brad Tucker, of course, of the uh, Seattle Seawolves, the Kiwi native. So that is the first round of this trivia here on the Rugby Rant, and that round goes to Rob Hammerschmidt. We're not sure who won the first round on this Rugby Rant, so we'll have to be able to stick around to be able to see the last and final segment, and we'll be back after this break. And, you know, we got another read here from uh, from our partners at Manscaped. <laughs> Happy New Year from our sponsor, Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and they are here to help you clean have clean balls in the new year. Bring in the new year with the right tools for the job. Join the 2 million men who trust Manscaped for their below-the-waist grooming, including the three hosts of the Rugby Rant. 20, uh, happy 2021. Spoiler alert, being hairy down there still hasn't come back into fashion. So step into the new year 
and shave your boys, guys. Manscaped is here to give you uh, a New Year's resolution you can actually keep. I already know I broke one of my uh, resolutions already, and I'm kind of disappointed. But this resolution I have kept. Um, the Perfect Package 3.0 is the best below-the-waist grooming package you need to start off the year strong, coming out of quarantine with clean balls thanks to the Lawnmower 3.0. It's waterproof and has skin-safe trimmer technology, which will re- reduce nicks to your two best friends. It's also time to freshen up down there in the new year with the Crop Preserver. It's, it's an anti-chafe ball deodorant moisturizer you already put deodorant on your armpits why not put deodorant on the smelliest parts of your body you guys freaking know coming in after a match you're dirty you've been playing in the mud you know the coach kept you in for 80 minutes as prop and even though he was going to take you out after 50 thing going on (laughs) you know and uh you know so you need you need something for that especially when you want to go to the social and for the -the on-the-go freshness you'll love the the crop reviver ball toner spray manscaped even throws in their shed travel bag which is actually my favorite out of out of the uh um of the package and uh, it keeps all your goodies stored comfortably it actually looks really good and 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 matches my luggage which is nice and speaking of comfort talking about which goodies are we talking about? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yeah, all of them. I mean, everything that comes with the perfect 3.0 package. So, that, and that includes the Manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs, which are included and will bring your underwear game to the next level. So, bring sexy back in 2021 and start the new year off with a fresh set of testes, thanks to Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RugbyRant at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use the code RugbyRant. Let them know we sent you. Help us. Help them. New year, new balls. Welcome back, Rugby Rant fans, to this rugby debate show where you know we put our guests to the test to be able to debate the topics at hand. And this one in particular, I am personally interested in because it's about super rugby. Now, being South African born and raised, I grew up watching the Stormers from the Western Province Rugby Union. And now, recently... Given the news that uh, Pro 14 has shifted its business model and is now bringing in four Super Rugby franchises, which is kind of a really big shift from its traditional fan base in the Southern Hemisphere, now we've come to realize in the last week or two, news on top of that massive change and shift in ownership in Super Rugby where American holding group uh, consortium has collectively purchased a controlling share of the Sharks franchise in Durban for Super Rugby that will compete in the Pro 14 tournament as of 2021. It is a massive shift in South African rugby union management, guys. But what is so interesting is that we want to learn why is it that an American organization is choosing to put their money into rugby overseas and not here at home. So you as the fans had chosen this. I was very pleased about that. I'm here to be able to learn what these guys think about it. And we'll find out by starting off with Rob Hammerschmidt. Let us know what you think about this. So the answer to the question is um, uh, businesses are in business to make money. And so they're in business, you know, they're going to invest in companies that they believe are going to give them an ROI or return on investment and, and be profitable entities. And MBM um, Holdings actually has an interesting management group. Um, some of them, there are about seven main guys. Um, one of them, there's a couple of interesting ones. Uh, three Safas, by the way, three South Africans are involved, um, all with American roots. Uh, one of the interesting Americans is Michael Yorkman, who is president of Rock Nation, a company started by uh, Jay-Z. Now, this is an entertainment company that has tremendous, um, a broad spectrum of individuals that are part of its, you know, entertainer, entertainment conglomerate. But here's, I think, what they're interested in. They're interested in where um, the Sharks are going to go, and they're going to go into Pro 16. They're going to go up north, northern hemisphere to Europe. Uh, And I think they see this as an opportunity on the production level to really expand their entertainment uh, market, to really expand um, their cachet. Um, in, in the UK and in Europe and, and all around the world. Um, they have an NHL Panthers owner on there. They have an NBA Bucks owner on there. Uh, and interestingly, one of the owners is a brother of a former guest in our show. Benji Aswell's brother is actually one of the majority, uh, one of the uh, owners. So interesting stuff. But, you know, again, I think it all comes down to TV and video rights. Um, tremendous amount of upside there um, for Rock Nation and this conglomerate. Um, and I can't, I, we have to mention the opportunity with uh, the captain of South Africa, uh, uh, Sian yeah. Khalifi, 
And, and um, uh, he's going to be switching and going to the Sharks, and there's a tremendous upside to have him associated with the Sharks. Do you know that They're for gonna... sure, by the way? I know it's rumored. Well, it's look, and look, here's what I know. Uh, Vincent uh, Moai um, is the CEO of uh, – he's a South African. Uh, he's very close to Khaleesi, and um, he actually uh, – there was a, a, an award, uh, the Vincent Moai Bursary Scheme. Uh, right. He was the first person to win it. So there's close personal ties there. I believe that, that he's going to the Sharks, and I believe they're going to capitalize that on definitely that. definitely is kind of the, 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 the general opinion. And, and look, they came out. And, and, you know, this organization, MVM Holdings, has come out not only saying, okay, look, not only are we investing in rugby for essentially, as you said, a business model that can be successful and make a profit, that's why it exists, right? Rugbytainment is kind of the, 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 the phrase at, at, uh, at the moment that everybody's throwing around. So you can see why they're bringing in entertainment partners. They're looking at an established franchise that now has the ability to go to possibly an even more lucrative market where it now enters the UK field instead of its traditional base in Southern Hemisphere with Super Rugby, which has steadily been on the decline for the last decade. So when we talk about TV rights, let's let's dwell on that just for a moment because you touched on that point and it gave me the opportunity to speak about this. So TV rights, look at the product that why an American organization might very well find it successful to be involved with this franchise. One, ESPN signed a three-year deal to be able to show all Pro 14 matches. That deal concludes at the end of 2021. That means, first of all, they're in a better bargaining position as a union, as a league, to be able to now renegotiate with top broadcasters, which means more money will come in on the next contracts. They're poised because they're getting it at the right dollar now, knowing they're going to be making more in that new deal. Why would they want to be able to make that deal? Well, because with it, just between South Africa and the UK, if you combine the rugby viewership, it is 16.7 million eyeballs that tune into rugby. That makes it the largest rugby viewership in the world, even beyond the premiership then. Why would they want to be a whole part of it? Because it has incredible reach. That's why. But it's interesting that the Sharks gave up a controlling share. So that one is another point that we can move over to. But I don't want to go on to my other stuff because I want to hand the over to uh, Scott Farrow, the big guy. Let's hear what your thoughts are when it comes to American investment overseas. Uh, well, they're South African. By birth. <laughs> they're not South African only. And that's my time, folks. No, but um, obviously, obviously, in in in, they're taking advice. They know that obviously South Africa coming out of a World Cup championship, um, showing that their 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 professional teams are going to go into Pro Fourteen. Um, obviously, the the South Africans in the group are explaining this to, to the people who may not know. And I mean, the major sports owners and the people associated with, with the major sports probably have an inkling of what's going on worldwide and they can get the answers they need. And I think, you know, you can kind of just explain to the other investors what's going on. Um, I right. think the biggest point and, and Rob made it was the fact that the president of rock nation is, is in that investing pool and, you know, rock nation represents guys like Saquon Barkley, guys like Robinson Cano, um, guys like Todd Gurley, um, Kyrie Irving, who's been in the news uh, for whatever reason. And do you know who all they also represent as of last year? Maro Itajay from the from the Saracens. So they already have started their four way four way into rugby. Right. I can see. I think they can see it now with just having Maro as as representing Maro and and getting more feelers out into places like the Prem and in Europe. I think they see that their investment can go far um, and. On, a, on an actual rugby playing note, I think it'll be better for the South African teams just going to the Pro 14 because they don't have to change as many time zones as they did right. when they were doing all their and summer. Finally, I get to be able to watch the Stormers play here in the U.S. with the normal broadcast service where I don't have to go and uh, try and find some backdoor entrance to a uh, to a stream soon. Yeah. So. And don't get me wrong, it's it's still a long fight, but I, I feel personally that it's always the time changes, time zone changes that kill people. Yeah. I mean, when your so, body is used to being able to go to sleep at a certain time and suddenly now that time feels like it's 3 a.m. to you, um, yeah, it has an effect on the body. And especially when you look at how they would travel, you know, it's the same sort of uh, – um, 
criticisms that they had when we spoke about Kanaloa and Hawaii, right? So South Africa has had to endure that when it go across to Australia and New Zealand for 25 years in the Super Rugby contest. Now they only have to travel eight hours to London and possibly 10 hours from, from Cape Town, and you're only one time difference apart. And, you know, and there was just the news about Rooney's uh, ownership transfer to Bolton. And, you know, they had acquired, you know, whatever, half of, of the the Rooney uh, club. And then they, they just acquired the full thing. And my point is they worked in Auckland. They did the same thing in Auckland where they, they, they invested in the Blues. They worked with them. So I think it's a it's just a matter of time if the MLR can continue to be solvent, as, as Josh talked about in our last uh, spot, that – you're going to get not just the rugby investors coming in. You're going to get the overall sports investors to come in. And you see that with that conglomeration that that purchased the Sharks. Right. So when we talk about rugby investment, this is kind of the buzz uh, word is investment in being thrown around in rugby circles. Most notably, uh, also New Zealand rugby is now, you know, entertaining the idea of private investment uh, to the tune of $2 billion, apparently. Now, uh, that must be noted as New Zealand dollars, so that's like five bucks. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but more so to the point is that rugby needs to kind of look outside their circle. I think if they're at the point now where they've exploited all the opportunities financially that exist within their regular circles, we've you know exhausted revenue streams in areas. You know, once you remove the ticket sales, once you remove the, the TV rights and all these things that we once had access to in abundance – you know, it's very difficult. So you have to be creative. You have to look at options outside of your circle of influence. And maybe that is exactly what's happening with this group, this American consortium, who's looking at this brand of rugby that is expanding on the back of the success of the 2019 Rugby World Cup being the highest viewership to date for any World Cup event at 857 million eyeballs that tuned in. So it's growing year after year after year. It's a product that's on the rise. And it's a product that neatly fits into a uh, TV schedule in a two-hour block. It's not football. It doesn't take four hours, right? It's You can actually fit more entertainment in the same amount of time. So it becomes a cheaper product to be able to produce, and it becomes a more profitable product to sell. So let's hand it over on those notes to be able to share his thoughts is Josh. I'm going to go around the horn really quick and correct all of you on some stuff. Uh, so Ty, it's actually more expensive because you don't have the same ad revenue in rugby as you would in American football. Uh, Rob, if they wanted to send money home, they could just use Western union, like every other South African <laughs> and, uh, and big guy, uh, they trotted Sia Khaleesi out at a Nets game last year, a Brooklyn Nets game last year as like an ambassador of rock nation. Right. So I think, right. I think intuition was much better than the other two guys as far as like what's you know what you're leaning towards here it's that it's that sort of like entertainment draw but the um really really what i see this is is an an exporting the american sports model right like world rugby is essentially established as a cartel where every every decision of the home nations is meant to prop up the profits of the home nations, right? That's why original members get two votes. It's why tier two countries constantly get to share, right? It's, but the issue is, is in, in, in real professionalization, not like the kind of fake professionalization that rugby has, like you have to create open markets, right? And, and that's, that's ideally what the MLR is, right? We don't need to be importing these sort of uh, like unprofitable structures, like you mentioned it, Ty, like super rugby doesn't make any money. Like the the South African rugby union doesn't make any money, you know, and, uh, and, you know, England is, is they're, they're slashing staff and programs and things like that. And it's, it's because it's, uh, they're still hanging on to these outdated models where they're just propping up the English rose or the Springbok or whatever. And, they need to start welcoming private investment, you know, and uh, because, and, and that's part of what we see in USA rugby, right. Is we have, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of foreign administrators come here and they try and create the same, like kind of lazy top down pathways, but the, the, when push comes to shove, USA rugby doesn't make any money and they can't fund, you know, all the way down to grassroots, like you might see other countries do. Right. And so, really what this holding group is doing is exporting professional sports, real 
free market professional sports where you're free to negotiate contracts, make as much money as you can create for yourself. Right. And, and personally, I'd like to see that in rugby around the world, just like you see in every other professional sport. Right. I, I 100 percent agree with you. And I think that's an incredibly valid point and a great assessment. Uh, it is an export you know, of, of, of an existing brand, an existing product, an ex- existing formula. How it will translate is going to be interesting. Right. Because it's almost like, you know, they always say hindsight is twenty twenty, But if you look at, you know, the struggle that rugby had in the pre-professional era, they had to be able to make that shift. They realized that the game could not survive in the manner that it was continuing. The game became professional. Are we at the next crossroad, right, where we have to be able to entice uh, uh, opportunity, investment opportunities from areas that we haven't looked at? My answer is yes. What we're doing is not working. Your assessment that the home nations tend to be able to gravitate towards being in control is because their system is designed as such. You know, when you talk about world rugby, you're really talking about the RFU having the biggest piece of the pie. And is that fair? Now, another great example is the continuing conversation of the British and Irish Alliance moving, or at least the threat of moving the tour away from South Africa. A whole nother debate. If you want to check out the thoughts on that, make sure you check out our video that uh, the boys up top over there just did with uh, Ronald Bakusi, the former CEO of Kenya, uh, rugby union who had some interesting thoughts on that one. Uh, Rob, I can see you want to jump in and uh, dive in, please. So there's two points that um, I, I can't help but wonder as I as we went around the horn there. One of them, you mentioned uh, the, the Lions. I can't help but thinking that maybe this group is trying to get in on an, a, an opportunity, a marketing opportunity, given that the Lions Tour is coming up. They're positioning themselves well, particularly if the Lions Tour is put off till 2022. Are they going to be not only Khaleesi, but also that core to possibly get in on some of the production right. or expand a little bit of their market share into rugby right. with the well, tour? And and the other point I want to make, and maybe this is where fans were going with their votes on this issue, is you know wondering well, why didn't this group invest in MLR? Well, right. I got I got uh, a fourteen million reasons why. And it comes mm-hmm. down to the fact that they probably paid somewhere between nine and ten million for a fifty-one percent share of that team, as opposed to twenty-four million dollars to buy yeah. an MLR franchise. You elaborate on that point. Brilliant point. I want. I was waiting for somebody to be able to bring that up. So the rubble immediately gets an extra point there because I wanted the opportunity to be able to remind people that the first time that they attempted to be able to buy a franchise in South Africa was with the Western Province Rugby Union who is the holders and owners of the name and team, the Stormers franchise, which competes in Super Rugby. That's a little bit of background. They went to the Western Province Rugby Union. They asked for a 51% share. While we don't know what the final amount was settled on in the agreement for the Sharks, what we do know is that they offered $6 million for a 51% stake in the Western Province Rugby Union, which they subsequently declined. That opened up the opportunity to negotiate with the franchise at the Sharks in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, so is it comparable? I believe so, right? So at $6 million bucks, would you rather put your money into $6 million with a potential audience of $16 plus million, or would you rather put $14 plus how many more millions into an MLR franchise, which CBS boasts as its highest viewership of 650,000 people for an event? So you do the math. And I would also say that the, the MLR. You know, and I think. Ooh, go ahead. No, no, no you can go, coach. Go for it. My, my internet, I think my internet jumped. Um, no, I think it's Scott's side. Okay. So, uh, and I would say that the MLR will begin to attract this kind of investment, not after their first TV deal deal second one right and right now they they don't have the first one right they have people who are you know who are willing to sell airwaves to the mlr but until they're actually getting paid for their product you know they're not going to attract investment right absolutely and and it's not a fair comparison to say perhaps um okay well why maybe the formula isn't as simple as saying why would you not invest in rugby in america well, because it's not an investable product yet, right? It's just not there. Now, it's not a slight on them. It's just going into the fourth year with all the restrictions and all the challenges they have had has already been an amazing achievement, but it's not there yet. 
And, and I would say that this investment, to uh, Rob's point earlier, this investment wouldn't have happened if the Sharks were still in Super Rugby. No. I, I believe that. I do really wholeheartedly believe that because they had 25 years of a decline. Why would they make their choice now? It's only be under the environment of the pandemic that they were forced to be able to address these obvious flaws that were opened up not as cracks, but they were craters. Uh, and and so it drove uh, you know a, a clear um, point right to the, to the heart of the situation is that they need to be able to find money from somewhere else. Is this the lifeline that they needed? Perhaps what will come from it? I don't know. But more to Rob's point is about the timing. Is that you know let's imagine that the lines to it does not come to be. Well, there's going to be a space in the calendar that was carved out for rugby that they could potentially fill. But they've already put themselves to a plan as the introduction of what is being entitled the Rainbow Cup uh, will be competed between the uh, new Pro 16 and the 16 teams inside will be split into two conferences of eight. The winner of each conference will compete in a final that will take place from April until June, which, again, was planned. So it would avoid that Lions schedule. Um, they may decide that they could, in the absence, extend that calendar and get even more revenue because rugby fans will be craving rugby. So it is an interesting I think on, on the American side, yeah, I, I think just to, what I was going to say uh, when I interrupted Coach, my bad coach, um, on the American side, we have three teams, MLR teams in Texas. What's one of the biggest names – of, of a rugby personality in Texas. I'll give you a hint. He owns a certain Mark NBA Cuban. team. Mark Cuban. He's not involved in any of those three teams. Yeah. Not, he's not involved in any of those three MLR teams. He's, so he's on Shark that. Tank for a reason, right? He looks. Yeah. Well, so, he, um, he's on Shark Tank. He, he looks at investments. Are you good? I mean, we're okay. So my, my point is he's looking at investments and he's looking at where he's smart enough to put his money to make money. So if he hasn't invested in MLR already being a fan, I don't think the time is right to try and get a conglomeration of, of people who might not be rugby centric into the MLR to invest. Right. And I'm not even certain it would be a good idea to have that type of investor because here you have uh, MVM Holdings who's already gone in boldly saying that they want a controlling share. Now, also, it's interesting that they would go in and ask for a controlling share of a governing body, which is also an interesting uh, uh, investment uh, dilemmas that present themselves perhaps down the road. But let's imagine they would come in and they would say, hey, we got the investors, we got the money, MLR, we like what you do, but we want it to be have, uh, have our control of it. Is that in their best interest? Is the money worth losing the control? Again, only time will tell. So final time to be able to go once around the table leave us your final thoughts and that question to be able to answer is american investment overseas why is it not at home so rob let's open it up uh with uh with you uh, i refer to what i said earlier roi cheaper yep. investment much bigger upside it only makes sense perfect business first scott Commercial viability, just like Rob and Josh were talking about. Echo the very same theme. Absolutely. Josh? The TV contract. Right. So, again, it's it's got to do with profitability. It's a business deal. At the end of the day, they look at the return on investment. They look at all these factors. Uh, the upside is there more so for rugby that is established in established markets. And uh, while the MLR is on the right track, it's just not quite there. And in my personal opinion, if you're looking to be able to get that investment, but you give up the controlling share, it's not in your best interest. So now we have uh, the end of our rant. I would like to be able to uh, remind you that this means that we need to be able to find a winner for this particular rant. So it has been an interesting debate. Um, before I actually uh, uh, say who I believe won this particular rant, I'd like to take a moment to be able to ponder it. And while I do so, Josh, uh, I wanted to be able to thank you for uh, for joining us, uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, you're obviously passionate about rugby. You're a great contributor to the game. We want to give you the opportunity to be able to send a shout-out to anybody you think is important, any cause you want to be able to draw attention to. Let us know. The floor is yours. 
Yeah, so uh, any of my knuckleheaded players uh, that are not doing homework and watching this, I'm <laughs> uh, excited to get the year underway. You know, it's been a crazy year, but, um, you know, I don't think COVID has only shown us what our problems are. I think uh, it hasn't created a lot of problems, and we, we've been fortunate in that regard. And uh, one thing that we've just leaned on is um, – just continuing to communicate with each other, like opening up, like challenging each other where we need to. Um, and those constraints have led to some innovation as well. So, you know, I'm proud of how we've handled the year so far and uh, excited to getting back to work with my guys. Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> All right. I hope we can start that over. That's right. Okay. So yeah, we'll just give it a, a, a break over here. Um, Rob, do you want me to be able to do the transition to him again? Or do you think you can cut it and go straight to him? Uh, I could probably cut it and go straight to him. Okay. Yeah. Just then, give it a pause. Okay, whenever you're ready, Josh. So uh, shout out to any of my knuckleheaded players that are watching this. Uh, it's been a crazy year, but I'm excited to hopefully play some rugby this spring. Um you know, we're fortunate in that COVID has really only shown us what our problems already were, right? They exacerbated them. We didn't have a lot of problems created. Uh, and some a lot of that's led to innovation. A lot of that's because of the players uh, buckling down and still wanting to, you know, accomplish what they came to Lindenwood to accomplish. And I'm just excited to move forward. Uh, you know, there's always, there's always challenges, but, you know, those constraints can really create uh, a lot, you know, c- coming out of, any of these challenges as well. So excited for that. Shout out to the boys on campus and uh, we're moving forward. Excellent. Love it. And uh, let's uh, turn our attention back to being able to find out who's the winner of this particular rant. Now it was an interesting one. Everybody contributed phenomenally to the topics at hand, which again, a quick reminder, first up, we were talking about how the MLR can help amateur rugby Secondly, we had our first trivia contest, which the winner was Rob Hammerschmidt of the inaugural, uh, well, not inaugural, but uh, what were you Got calling it? blindsided by this trivia. Initial, what's the right word? Never mind. We move on. We digress. So, who will it be? Well, I think, hmm, I think I'm going to hand this to Rob, though. What the f- <laughs> <laughs> Well, Rob won the, 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 the trivia contest. The trivia because Rob doesn't win enough, we had to add a trivia section. Because <laughs> the big guy's been kicking his butt up and down the court. Then Ty has to quote unquote have you know help his wife have a baby. So then <laughs> the big guy can't even be involved in whether he won because he has to decide who won. And now we come for the trivia. I see. I see where it's going. The two minutes are up. <laughs> <laughs> so, gentlemen, of course, as per usual, it is the show where we put our guests to the test, and it has been an entertaining one. We've had the highs, we've had the lows, Scott Ferrara, and uh, we give you the opportunity to be able to learn a little bit more about what we do by visiting us online, whether it be on social media or on our website. You can find us under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. Check us out on Facebook, check us out on Instagram and Twitter. Drop us a comment, tell us what you think about this. Give us five stars. If you think Scott should have won. All right. We'll we all know that, it. We'll put up that, that up there, that challenge out there. We'll see who gets uh, the votes. But once again, this has been an absolute pleasure. And most importantly, not only do we want to take an opportunity to once again thank our guest ranter, Josh Macy of the uh, Lindenwood uh, head coach position, but of course the Lindenwood program spearheading that there. Phenomenal effort. Great organization. If you are ever considering sending your kid to a place where he can get a great education while he gets some great rugby in, definitely consider there. Rob Hammerschmidt sends his own kids there, so you know that it gets his vote of approval, right? Testimonial right there. But gentlemen, it has been a pleasure. Most of all, we take time to be able to thank you, the rugby fan, for allowing us to do what we love, and this is a part of that. So once again, thank you for watching the Rugby Rant podcast show, and we'll see you at the next one.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.